0: Hey, so I did not properly communicate this in the initial recording of the audio. So, here's your warning. This is going to be diving into some heavy stuff in this podcast, so not friendly for kid ears. Uh, So, please, if you're listening to this and you have some children running around, use some earbuds or whatever is appropriate. Thank you. Welcome, friends, again to another week of the Catholic Blood Podcast. Excited to have you here. Today, we're going to be doing a meditation day where we reflect on why God wants us to worship him. And today will be a little bit different of a format, which I'm excited for. I'm going to lay out my argument, my case, and then I'm going to end with a work from a saint. I believe it's St. Irenaeus and his Treaties Against Heresy. So, pretty solid way to end when we're talking about um kind of I wouldn't say private revelation, but like this is just my ways that I came to reason why God wants us to worship him. So it's a bit personal. It's not necessarily a Catholic Church's teaching, but it's very much so rooted in Catholic tradition. So I'm um, in fact like the whole question of this, of why does God want us to worship him, came from me listening to the Cat was well, the Catechism in New York podcast with Father Mike Schmitz, which is wonderful. I highly recommend listening to it. Uh but, yeah, it it's a really interesting concept, and it's really weird because, right, we think of God, we think of total love. We think of him when God says, you know, I did not come to be served. Yeah, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And we think of Jesus Christ as, you know, uh, he who, like, glorying incarnate, became flesh, gave his glory away, suffered uh, and then eventually had his passion, crucified, and died on the cross. So we see this this total outward love of God, and then when we think of this quality that God says, hey, I actually, I demand your worship, it's really interesting, and it just seems almost contrary to God, but we'll see that that is not the case. Before we get into kind of my process of coming to understand God and coming to know him, I would like to say, I'm going to post a link to it, but I actually wrote a small page and a half article on this that is much more eloquent as I had much time to look at my words, make them more condensed, concise, instead of me just kind of fumbling my way through the podcast. This is take number seven, so we can see it's, it's going pretty sketchy for me today. Um, <laughs> so if you would like to see a more condensed, more eloquent version of what I'm saying now, where I quote some scriptures... Please feel free to click on that and read the article itself. Uh, without further ado, uh, let's go into those questions that I reasoned my way to this understanding of why does God want us to worship Him. All right, so I have three questions today. The first question is, how can we come to understand God, which is going to be important because this is going to be our foundation from which everything we build today is um is built on. So, how can we come to worship God? Question number one. Question number two. what is is worship. And then question number three, what is it in the nature of worship that makes it exclusive? Why is it that God says he demands our worship and demands it exclusively? So coming to that first question, how can we come to know God? Ah, this is pretty interesting. Um, So I was just sitting in, in silence and meditating on this after, of course, listening to the catechism of your podcast, it's like, okay, why, why does God want us to worship him? It seems almost egotistical, but we know that's not him. So let's, let's take some time of science for this. And I, what came to me was the scripture in which uh, Jesus' disciple, excuse me, come to him and say, Jesus, like a, or master, they don't say Jesus, it's like, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And what do we get from that? but the very familial prayer, familiar prayer of our Father. And it begins with, Our Father who art in heaven. And what's so beautiful about this, and what's so amazing about this, is that the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the true God from true God, does not seek to be related to us in an authoritative position. That is not his primary relation that he wants to have with us. No, the the primary position he has is our Father. And then after that we have who art in heaven. So we do have that authority there. But when Jesus is revealing the Father, when he's revealing the unseen God, the first person of the Trinity, he's revealing him through our humanity as a Father showing us that that first person of the Trinity is good. He's concerned about us, like a father's concerned for their children. He wants to protect us, like a good father wants to protect his children. He wants to provide for us, like a good father wants to provide for his family. And he wants to love us, like a father loves his family. So, it's immensely beautiful, and it's something that I believe... um, either St. Catherine of Siena or Teresa of Avila, one of those great doctors of the church, got so hit with the perfunctity of the Our Father that they couldn't get past those four words. Our Father, to think, oh, God loves us. The God who is everything, who is almighty, loves us so much, but he wants to be Our Father. He doesn't want to be exclusively king. He doesn't want to exclusively be Lord. But He wants to first, before that, be our Father. So with that being said, the first answer to the question is, our first answer to our first question is, we can come to know God through our humanity because this is what Jesus did when He was on earth. He relayed to us that the first person of the Trinity can be known through our humanity and our familial bonds. The first person of the Trinity is a father. And then furthermore, you could even say that Jesus Christ is, what, the only begotten son of God. The son of man, as he likes to refer himself as. So we can see that both this familial relationship of father and this familial relationship of son are two different qualities of humanity that God relates himself to us. So, with that being said, We'll move forward to our second question. What is worship? So immediately when asking myself, what is worship? I realized I actually didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, is it like really good complimenting? Like you're like, mm, you have pretty hair, uh, pretty teeth, but like just in a more glorious way of just like, ah, you are such a good person. Thank you. Um And then uh, of course, I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's not it, all right." Because you can compliment anyone, and that's not a bad thing. Probably even to be encouraged. But I realized I just I didn't have this understanding of what worship was. So then I had to start examining. Okay, what are the qualities of worship? And I, the, you know, we get into our third question, and that is, why is worship exclusive? All right? Because why does God command us, in the Mosaic laws, that He is the only God? I mean, you have the, the Shema, which is, you know, hero is the Lord, your God is your Lord alone. You shall love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength and with all your heart. Uh, I always butcher it. There's, I think, three of those. And I, I can't remember. I have four of them that I think of, but very close to the Shema. And then you also have the, the, the Ten Commandments, like you shall have no other God before you, which is, I believe, part of the Shema. But also our Lord says, like, I, the Lord, am the jealous God, and you shall have no other gods before me. So we see this exclusivity where it's like God does want our worship and he created two different Levitical, or oh, sorry, two different Mosaic laws, the Levitical law and the, and the law from Deuteronomy on how to worship him properly, which then is fulfilled. Then we have our, you know, the new covenant that we currently are enjoying, the last iteration of the covenant. So we see that, okay, God does want our worship and, but it is also exclusive and that's kind of... That's a, that's a weird and interesting quality. So it's, it's not something as benign as a compliment. It's something much more profound. So to answer this question, I thought back to the first question, which was, how can we come to know God? And that is within our humanity. And then I realized that worship is the divine act of saying I love you. And I realized that worship is most perfectly related to us and the gift of our sexuality, which is why it is such a grievous thing to abuse our sexuality. But that worship, like sex, is a total gift of love. But where sex is... A spiritual thing, yes, but it's more of a... It's the physical and spiritual way to give our love totally and completely to another person. And it is also exclusive. Worship is the spiritual way that we can totally and utterly give ourselves to God. And it is exclusive, but it's in a spiritual sense. And then in the article... I reference that, you know, like sex is exclusive, it is intimate, it is a full gift, and it is dignified. So, like, one thing I would like to say is, like, with with worship, and this is something that, like, I've thought in kind of incompletely before, very disjointedly, but it is the act with our spirits that we can tell God that I love you, but it, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's perfect because it it's the one time that you can totally give yourself over and just be completely okay, right? You can completely give yourself over to God and know that when you give yourself and the totality of who you are as a person to God, that you're fine because you have a father who loves you. You're giving yourself in love. It's not a matrimonial. It is actually very much so close to matrimonial love. But, I mean, it is, it is important to say, like, worship is not sex and it's not the same. But these qualities of sex are so very perfectly relatable to us because there is an intimacy there and there's a full gift of self. And the beauty of what I was trying to get at before was that you can give yourself totally and utterly and completely, and you know that that love and that gift of yourself will never be betrayed. Like our Lord will always care for us, and he's actually the only perfect being, and that he will perfectly love us, and that we never have to worry about giving ourselves to him, which is how it, it yeah, it fulfills a lot of those, those qualities. I said like it is, it is exclusive. You can't give yourself that totally to someone else. Like if you give yourself in worship to your spouse, then eventually your spouse is going to let you down and you're going to realize that your happiness cannot be found in your spouse alone. And that if you put the weight of your heart on your spouse, it's going to crush them. You can't put it on your children. You can't put that, that weight on anything other than God. He is the only thing that is strong enough to hold our hearts and keep them whole. So we see that worship is actually a divine act of love. It's the divine act, I love you. So then we, we begin to understand, okay, all right, so... This, this idea of God creating us to worship him is actually not an egotistical thing, but it's really God drawing us into his interweaving of love and the Trinity, right? And that's how it's dignified because God, from the beginning of time, there was nothing but himself and he... Was the perfection of love. And like love, he had all three necessities there in order for there to be love. So, and love, you have to have a lover, a beloved, and love between the two. Right? So, like sometimes, sadly, in marriage, you could have a lover, the beloved, but they don't have a perfect love. They have a selfish love where they're just there in it for themselves. And then you see the love between them dies. And so you have the two, love the beloved and the lover. But there's no love between them. And there is no love. But God from all time, being perfect and in absolute fullness, God the Father, being lover, looked at the Son with love, with a Father's love, a complete love. And the Son looked back to the Father with complete and total love and was able to receive His love as Father and give back the Father's love as the Son. And that love between them is a living love that we call the Holy Spirit. So He has always been the perfection of love and has lacked nothing. So we see that we being created for worship is not actually an egotistical thing but it's actually a wondrous and incomprehensible thing that our Lord, who was perfect from all time and needed nothing, created us not to serve Him, but He created us to draw us in to Himself in this inward act of an infinite giving of love so that when we hear God demands our worship, we realize that God is inviting Him inviting us, excuse me, into his eternal act of being, his act of love. And this is the divine act, right? This is the divine act of being. God says that he is love. And we know from Thomas Aquinas that God is being itself. But what does it mean to be? And God teaches us that God is love. So in order to love means that you have your being in your existence. That's the fullness of existence, is loving well. So we see that the amazing thing is that God is calling us into the perfection of his love to participate in his divinity, which is absolutely crazy. And we come to the answer, how can a God who is so selfish and so loving and so outwardly focused demand our love and our worship? And we see that that is actually not so much a burden upon us, but it's actually the great invitation that God is calling us into that perfect act of love, which is worship. Oh. So, so that's, that's where I'm at. I mean, if you disagree, feel free to comment, feel free to send me an email. I'm, you guys have that information. Um, but before we close, I have this wonderful work from St. Irenaeus on his treatise against heresy. And without further ado, let's get into that. From the Treatise of Against Heresy by St. Irenaeus Bishop Our Lord, the Word of God, first drew men to God as servants, but later he freed those made subject to him. He himself testified to this, I do not call you servants any longer, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Instead, I call you friends, since I have made you know since I have made known to you everything that I have learned from my Father. Friends, friendship with God brings the gift of immortality to those who accept it. In the beginning, God created Adam not because he needed man, but because he wanted to have someone on whom to bestow his blessings. Not Only before Adam, but also before all creation, the Word was glorifying the Father in whom He dwelt, and was Himself being glorified by the Father. The Word Himself said, Father, glorify me with that glory that I had with you before the world was. Nor did the Lord need our service. He commanded us to follow Him, but His was the gift of salvation. To follow the Savior is to share in salvation. To follow the light is to enjoy the light. Those who are in the light do not illumine the light, but are themselves illuminated and enlightened by the light. They added nothing to the light. Rather, they are beneficiaries for they are enlightened by the light. The same is true of service to God. It adds nothing to God, nor does God need the service of man. Rather, He gives life and immortality and eternal glory to those who follow and serve Him. He confers a benefit on His servants and return for His service and on His followers and return for their loyalty but he receives no benefit from them. He is rich, perfect, and in need of nothing. The reason why God requires service from man is this. Because he is good and merciful, he desires to confer benefits on those who persevere in his service. And proportion to God's need of nothing is man's need for communion with God. This is the glory of man, to preserve and remain in the service of God. For this reason the Lord told his disciples, You do not choose me, but I chose you. He meant that his disciples did not glorify him by following him, but in following the Son of God they were glorified by him. As he said, I wish that where I am they also may be. That they may see my glory. So, brothers and sisters, my friends, I hope that uh I hope that clarifies some things for you. I I hope that's very inspiring and you see just like how wonderful it is. Uh, Another week, under thirty minutes, just as promised. Or as as I guessed. (laughs) But yeah. I'm enjoying this podcast. I'm so happy to have you guys along here with me on this journey of just you know, transmitting uh, the beautiful things of God. So, friends, thank you for another week. And I hope you're doing well. Praying for you guys. Please pray for me. Yeah.